Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Jude, please. The book of Jude. Right near the back before Revelation. Book of Jude. <clears throat> Man, aren't you glad Jesus saved you just as you were? You don't have to get cleaned up to come to the Lord. He does all the cleaning. And uh, praise the Lord. Some of you were saved from a lot of different things. And as I read the Scriptures, it talks about those that were immoral and disobedient and all the rest. And it says, as such as some of you were. We were just like that, disobedient and away from the Lord. But God saved us anyway. Uh, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for you when you were perfect. He died for you when you were lost in your sins. And I thank the Lord and praise Him tonight for that. Book of Jude tonight. <clears throat> Book of Jude. We won't be too, too long. We'll try to wrap this up in time for our NETS meeting. But we want to make sure that we uh, are fair with the Scriptures. We're going to do a four-week Bible study on soul winning. Uh, you know, sometimes we don't do well at things that we're not equipped for. And uh, this morning we read in Ephesians chapter 4 that the purpose of the local church is to equip the saints for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. And you can't work the ministry if we're not perfected. And so I hope that you'll take it seriously and that you'll take some notes and write some things down. And I hope I've left room there enough that you can make some other notes and write down some other scriptures perhaps that will help you. And one of the lessons that we'll do in a couple weeks is we'll actually go through uh, a lot of the verses that we would use to lead somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, be patient on that, and we'll give you all those verses from Romans and John and Acts 4.12, and there's none other name given under heaven where, among men whereby we must be saved but Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we're going to go through all those verses together, and we'll look at all those things. But tonight, let's look at the book of Jude in verse 22. Jude in verse 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Help us, Lord, as we learn together and we study the scriptures together, Lord, that you would impress upon our heart, your heart for the lost. And that you are not willing that any should perish. It's not your will that anybody goes to hell, but that all should come to repentance through the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be instruments of yours, to go out and reach a lost and dying world. Help me as I preach. Fill me with thy spirit tonight, we pray. And Father, we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at that verse again with me, Jude, in verse 22. And if some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I think sometimes we don't approach soul winning like we ought to because we think the task is too big. And, and the task of world evangelism is big. There's over 7 billion people in the world. But we approach evangelism just like we approach eating an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? Anybody know? One bite at a time. And the Bible doesn't say that we are to go out and reach everybody. We, we can't possibly do that in our lifetime. It says, of some have compassion. When Paul was about to die, he says, I'm now ready to offer my departures at hand. He said this, I have finished my course. Was everybody in the world saved? He was a missionary to the Gentiles. Were all the Gentiles saved? No, but he'd done everything he could do to reach people. Jesus Christ said, I have finished the work thou gavest to me to do. The Bible says his work was to come to seek and to save that which was lost. Was everybody saved? Was everybody's followers of Christ? No. 
But Jesus had done his very best to fulfill the will of the Father. And so tonight as we consider these things, just remember it is an overwhelming task, but it is our task to be done one soul at a time. There's a story of a boy that was tossing starfish into the ocean and the, the high tide had brought in many thousands of them across the beach. And a man was out walking his dog and he stopped and spoke to the boy and he says, son, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm trying to throw these starfish back in the ocean. He says, but look up the shores, there's thousands of them. We had an unusual tide last night and uh, these starfish have been washed up by the thousands and you can't possibly make a difference. And the boy reached down and he picked up another and he threw it in the ocean. He said, I made a difference for that one. It ought to be our heart's desire to make a difference for somebody. And if some have compassion, making a difference, pulling them with fear out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Matthew chapter 28 gives us the Great Commission, and we'll turn there and lead off with it tonight. Matthew chapter 28. And the Bible says in verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all unto the end of the world. Amen. I want you to notice, first of all, in your notes tonight, Roman numeral one, and if you're filling in the blanks, the answer is the value of one. Friend, until we understand how God values a soul, I don't think we'll ever have enough urgency to go out and reach the lost. It's important that we see people as Christ sees people. Let me ask you, do you understand what happened the day you got saved? The Bible says that His Holy Spirit sealed you under the day of redemption. Now, I, I look at that a little differently, maybe. I understand that God's Holy Spirit came into my life and indwelt me, and He put His mark upon me, and I became a child of God, and the devil could no longer have domain over me because I was sealed. But you know, there's something called the book of life. And the moment I got saved, I believe the Holy Spirit also sealed that book so that my name could no longer be blotted out. I was now sealed under the day of redemption. One day he'll open that book and my name will be found there because the Holy Spirit has sealed it there. Do you know that the moment I got saved that God began preparing a place in heaven for me? John 14 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We have a place being prepared for us in heaven. Do you know that when you got saved, there was rejoicing in the presence of angels? And by the way, it doesn't say the angels rejoiced, as the old song says. It says there was rejoicing in their presence. I believe that's God that's rejoicing in the presence of angels. A lot of things took place the moment you got saved. That's because God has placed a value upon your soul. The value of one. Listen to this. This is very interesting to me. I don't know if he's a saved man or not, but after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, the former mayor of New York City, Mayor Rudy Giuliano, was asked to say a few words at the graveside of a fallen officer, a man that had died running back into those buildings. And here's what the mayor said. When everybody was fleeing that building and the cops and the firefighters and the EMS people were heading up into it, do you think any of them said, I wonder how many blacks are up there for us to save? I wonder what percentage are whites up here? How many Jews are there? 
Let's see, are these people making $400,000 a year or $24,000? Let's, uh, no, when you're saving lives, they're all precious. And that's how we're supposed to live all the time. How would you want the cops to treat you if you were on the 75th floor that day? Would you want them to say, excuse me, but I've got to get to the bosses first? Not exactly. And here's what he said. I confess I haven't always lived this way. But I'm convinced that God wants us to do it. He wants us to value every human life the way that he does. You see, here's a secular mayor of the, one of the largest cities in the world that understands something that Christians need to understand. We must value life like God values life. Every soul is precious unto God, and we are to make a difference in their lives. The Bible says in Luke 15, verse 10, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. Letter A, a soul is eternal. A soul is eternal. How many of you understood that already? That we will live forever somewhere. God created the human soul to be eternal. You're going to live somewhere forever. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And many of them that sleep, sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And you'll see the little graph in your notes t- tonight. There's a little dot that represents your life, but eternity goes on forever. There's no end to it. The life is precious in the eyes of God because somebody will dwell in hell forever. We must be reaching out to them and saving them with fear. Mark chapter 8 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Letter B, heaven and hell are real. There's just three things I'm going to give you to help you understand why we must value a soul. First of all, we, we already understand that the soul is eternal. It'll live forever. And it may go to heaven, but it may go to hell. Secondly, we need to understand that heaven and hell are real. Not only are our souls eternal, but they will dwell in one of two places. Look at Luke chapter 16. Now, for the sake of time, I've given you the scripture tonight a little bit, and hopefully you'll go over that again at a later date. But Luke chapter 16, verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now this morning I said, if you don't believe in the devil, you don't believe the Bible. But you know there's a lot of people out there today that says, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. Then you don't believe the Bible either. Because in one passage, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of both places. Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort and rest. And he called the place, uh, 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 and Lazarus lifted up his eyes, being in hell. And the Bible says he was tormented in this flame. Listen, it's, it's difficult. We used to work with a lady named Marilyn years ago, and she'd been raised Roman Catholic. And we'd often, my wife and I would often give her a ride home after work. She lived not too far from us. And, and while we were going home, of course, we'd have music on, and uh, she loved some of the music we played. I'm not sure why, but she just loved the cathedrals. And so we'd be playing that music, and then that led to conversation. And she said this. She says, well, I believe there's a heaven, but I don't believe there's a hell. I said, why don't you believe there's a hell? She says, well, she says, I don't believe the God that I serve would make a place called hell. I said, you wouldn't believe in the God that you believe in unless you believe the Bible, and the Bible talks about hell. I mean, that's just a fact, friend. 
That is our revelation of God to man, the Bible. And the Bible talks about a real heaven and a real hell. And we need to take this very seriously because there's people dying and going there every day. Revelation 20 talks about the final judgment. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Understand this, just a couple verses earlier, death and hell gave up their dead and now they're cast in the lake of fire. Talk about out of the frying pan and into the fire. It doesn't get better it only gets worse. There's a real place called hell. The Bible also says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Hey, there's good news. There's also a heaven. We need to understand tonight, first of all, that the soul is eternal and that heaven and hell are real. And thirdly tonight, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Put those three things together. The soul is eternal. It will live forever in either heaven or hell. And Jesus is the only way to be saved from hell and go to heaven. We need to get that into our hearts. This is an exclusive message we preach. Most people are okay if you say, well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and you can go to heaven if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because they just add it to their shelf of idols. They believe in good works, and they believe in religion, and they believe in church, and they believe in Jesus Christ, and they believe in all these things. But friends, when you start saying that Jesus Christ is the way, the only way, that ye must be born again. That, that's very narrow-minded, but friends, truth is narrow-minded. It excludes all else. And so we need to present a gospel that is very narrow and tells that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. That's pretty exclusive. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's sure easy to want to bend our message today to try to comply with those that we love. But we don't want to offend people. We're afraid that if we offend them, they'll never hear the gospel message again. They'll never want to believe. Friends, can I say this? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd far rather have somebody angry with me and hear the gospel message then have somebody happy with me all the days of my life and I stand before God and give an account for their soul. Think about that. We will give an account one day for those people that we failed to share the gospel with. Jesus is the only way of salvation and they must hear. Look at the second point tonight. We've talked about a little bit in, in this mission, the value of one. God has given us the Great Commission. We have to value souls, the value of one. Why are they valuable? Because a soul is eternal and heaven and hell are real. And the only way to be saved from hell and to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ alone. But I want you to notice, secondly, to seek and to save. If Jesus Christ were to give a purpose statement in just a few words, he would say, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Have you ever done that for yourself? Try to give a purpose statement? Maybe you want to have success. Maybe you want to have a family. And so you set your life and your goals around reaching that purpose statement. Well, that's what Jesus did. 
The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he structured his entire life around the gospel message, around reaching people. And I believe that we need to do more of that. He was not willing that any should perish. He was on a mission. When the Pharisees criticized him for dining with sinners, here's how he replied. Uh, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus restructured his life to reach as many with the gospel as he possibly could. He made time to go to the Samaritan woman by the well, and he hushed a crowd to minister to blind Bartimaeus. He said this, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And before he left this earth, he gave us the power and the purpose to reach the world with the gospel. The Great Commission, again, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now you should have four blanks under there. Let me give you the four points of the Great Commission. It is our mission to seek and to save that which was lost. Why? Because that was Jesus' mission. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, in the book of Acts. And so we have the Great Commission. He says, as the Father, has, all power is given unto me, and now I'm giving it unto you. We are to go. The first word is go. Now that word go is predicated on the statement that he would give power. He says, go ye therefore. When you see the word therefore, what do you do? You see what it's there for. So we look back, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, go ye therefore. So God is saying, I have got the power, I want you to go. We sometimes think, well, we can, we can go door knocking, but door knocking doesn't work anymore. God said go. God said go. Pastor Masker used to always say this, he used to always remind us of this. You get a lot of people you never reach, and you reach a lot of people you never get, but you wouldn't get the people you didn't reach if you didn't reach the people you didn't get. And that's kind of a tongue twister, isn't it? But what he's saying is, if you're faithful and doing what you ought to do, God sends other people that you can reach. God brings them in, and God allows you to win them to the Lord. Don't think your efforts are ever fruitless. God said, go. We're never asked to go alone. The word power here has dual meaning. It means, first of all, the strength of God. The power, the exousia power. And then it also means authority. We have the authority to go with the gospel because Jesus Christ has the power and the authority to send us out. The second word I want you to write down is win. Win. He says, and teach all nations. So how does that mean win? Because the next phrase says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so this first word, teach, it's used twice in this scripture. The first word literally means to give them the gospel. To teach them of Jesus Christ with the purpose of baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we are to teach and preach. Mark 16 says, go ye therefore, or go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are to have the intent of winning them to Christ. The third word is baptize. Baptize. This is leading someone to make a public profession. These are just the four elements of the Great Commission. So we are to go, we are to win, we are to baptize, and then we think it ends there sometimes. But then we are to teach them. This is making disciples, helping people grow. We can't stop when we get to baptize. 
There used to be an expression years ago, win them, wet them, and work them. And that's what we do. We win somebody to Christ, we give them in the baptistry tank, throw them in front of a bunch of kids and say, go ahead and teach the class. Well, friends, we have to teach people. We have to disciple people. Notice the end of the verse where the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. This is a comprehensive understanding of the Bible. It doesn't mean they have it memorized, but they have a basic and fundamental understanding of the faith. What it means to know Jesus Christ, how to lead another soul to Jesus. You know, I went to an ordination service several years ago. I was invited to come. I, I just started pastoring, and I thought it was quite an honor, so I went. They went through the entire ordination council with the young man, and then they asked him to leave the room so the pastors could talk together, and some of the church men were there, and they talked as well. And, and uh, one of the men said this, one of the pastors, he says, well, I will make a motion that we recommend him to the church for ordination if he's willing, first of all, to take a soul winning course. I went, huh? The guy has no idea how to lead a soul to Christ and we're going to ordain him to the gospel ministry today? It blew my mind. Listen, that, that's fundamental in the life of every believer, not just every preacher. That we ought to be able to tell somebody how to be saved. Listen, you say, well, I don't know all the Bible. You know what happened to you. If you got saved, something happened in your life, and you can share and relate that experience and tell them the scripture that was used to lead you to the Lord. And so we are to go, win, baptize, and teach. And as Christ concludes the Great Commission, he says this, Lo, I am with you always. That means I have my hand upon you. He's never going to let us go. He'll never leave us nor forsake us so we can go in the boldness and the power of Jesus Christ. Thirdly tonight, we need to own the mission. Owning the mission. We need to take responsibility. We say, well, you know, in this day and age, people aren't getting saved like they used to. But are we telling like we used to? Are we sharing the gospel like we used to? Are we soul sensitive like we should be? I think we just need to pray more for souls. That ought to be our heartbeat is reaching the lost. And I'll admit, we get so busy around here and I get busy with busy work that we're not, we're not as busy about it as we would like to be. And sometimes we just got to shove some things aside and say, okay, this isn't getting done this week. We got to go knock some doors. We have to set aside our personal agenda. Think about what Jesus Christ did to reach you. What he set aside. We have to take responsibility. The story is told of a deacon that was once praying in the church, and he was often known to repeat those catchphrases in his prayers, if you will. And he would say this often, O Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger. One time he was praying to open the service and the pastor had asked him again to pray and he prayed his prayer and in his prayer he said, Oh Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger and then he froze. He got very quiet in the room and after several minutes somebody finally thought he must be sick. There's something not right and so they walked over to him quietly and put their arm around him and said, Are you okay? And he says, Yes, it's just when I said, Lord, touch the lost with thy finger. He says, as if the Holy Spirit said to me, thou art the finger. 
They say revival broke out in the church that night. The pastor never got to preach. People understood finally the responsibility in the Great Commission and they flooded the altars and went out soul winning that night. Would to God that we would have a sensitivity to the loss and we would take responsibility for the mission that God has given to us. Listen, God hasn't given you very many crosses to bear, but this one we know for sure. We are each to tell others of Christ. So let me give you some tips tonight. First of all, make a commitment. Make a commitment. Hudson Taylor said this, the Great Commission isn't an option to be considered, it's a command to be obeyed. Curtis Hudson said, the only alternative to telling people about Jesus is disobedience. Make it a commitment. If you leave here tonight uncommitted to spreading the gospel with God's help, then we're not going to accomplish the task that God has given us. We need to take it to the Lord in prayer tonight. We need to make it the heartbeat of our church. The mission of every one of us. When we get up in the morning to go to work, we're not, we're not going to work for that purpose. Yes, we need to supply for our family, but it ought to be on our very hearts, those co-workers that God has placed in our lives. Those people that we carpool to work with, those that we will come in contact with throughout our day, we need to understand that they need the gospel and we must commit to it. Then you need to set a plan. What is scheduled gets done. What is scheduled gets done. If you don't make any time for it, it'll never happen. We have to make a priority in our lives. I'm going to tell you, it's hard to do. It's easy to push things aside, and unfortunately, sometimes that's the thing that gets pushed aside. But we need to set a time for it. Our staff on Mondays now, if you try to reach us, um, we, we took some time off in the winter when the weather was real bad, and, and, and we kind of got away. But I told the staff this Monday, uh, we have a staff meeting on Mondays mornings, and as soon as we're done, I said, we're going out. I said, we're not sitting in the office all day. We're going out. We're, not, we're door knocking. We're going to follow up on calls. We're going out to reach people. That's what the staff is doing. Can I, can I give you a suggestion? Come with us. Show up here tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. You can come to the staff meeting. That way you'll get all the good gossip, amen? That way you don't have to run around gossiping. You just know the truth. Just tell everybody what's going on. We don't need secrets. But come and we'll give you some calls and you can go with us. And we can reach out to some people that need to hear the gospel. So make it a plan. Get, in a, get a partner. I've been encouraged. Some of our ladies are partnering up. I like that. Because a partner makes you accountable. You know that's what they did in the Bible? In Luke chapter 10 it says, After these things the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. They were accountable one to another. Do you know what I noticed about those Mormon missionaries? They go in twos. You can't get up in the morning and say, well, I don't feel like going out today because you got somebody in the next bed saying, no, we're going out today. They're accountable when they go for their two-year spells. I don't agree with the thing they say. I don't agree with their doctrine at all. But I tell you this, I'm impressed with their efforts. I'm impressed with their efforts. Elder Jones and Elder Seidel were in Stony Creek. And we, we lived just far enough away from the church and God had given us a little home and we were just far enough away that a lot of times on Sunday we would just stay at the church. And so we were down in the basement one day and we put the kids out on crib mattresses. We had all these extra crib mattresses and we just lay them out and we let the kids sleep on the floor and sometimes mom and dad would just crawl right in there too. And I, we were down there because it was cooler. It was a summer day like this and it was a little bit cooler in the basement. 
And I heard something upstairs, so I went up and there was Elder Jones and Elder Seidel standing there in our auditorium. And they began to look, they were looking at our gospel tracts, and one of them said, Mormonism has another Jesus. I, I don't know if they saw that one or not, but I hope they did. And we began to talk and, and go on about things, and they said, listen, could we, could we, you know, we, we have a Sunday morning service, we don't have a Sunday night service, could we come and preach here sometime? We're just young preacher boys, and we'd like some experience, could we preach here some night? And of course, I was able to say, well, listen, fellas, we believe some different things here. And we got into the gospel, and we began to share some things back and forth. But I thought, what boldness to preach their gospel. What boldness to preach their lies in the Book of Mormon and all the rest, the Pearl of Great Price and all these uh, para-scripture things. Man, we need to have that kind of boldness. To go into the world and to preach the gospel. So... Make it a priority. Thirdly, seek God's help. Seek God's help. Listen, training in the Word is important. You understand that God's Word will not return void. That the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's important that we memorize Scripture. And it's important that we are trained in the Word. But soul winning is not salesmanship. You have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You have to know when to back off so that you have another opportunity. And you have to know when to step it up a little bit and press. You have to know when somebody is ready to hear uh, that it's time to pray and it's time to ask Christ and to challenge them to accept Jesus Christ. And so all these things come into play. You have to seek God's help. Listen to what Paul said to the church of Thessalonica. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. He said, there's no trickery involved here. But as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. God is witness. You need God's help. It is not salesmanship. How many of you guys get those telemarketers? You ever listen to them? Does anybody ever listen? Do you always hang up? Brother Gord's brother, Frank, boy, he, he, he nearly got me one time. I called uh, their nephew, Kevin, had had a surgery, and he was staying at his parents' house, Frank and Doris. And so I called over to see how he was doing. I, I knew Frank and Doris and had lunch with Frank a couple times and Kevin. And, and so I called Frank, and Frank had already told me, he says, when those telemarketers call, he says, I got one of those air horns. You know, like they give you for a boat? He says, and I just, I, I wait for the little click, because if I hear a little click, that means the computer called me, and then a guy's about to speak as soon as I answer. And he says, so as soon as I hear that click, I know there's a voice on there, and I blast them. Well, one day I called, and I said, hello, Mr. Spong, how are you? And it was dead silent. I went, Mr. Spong, it's Pastor Fury. He says, oh, you were just about to get the horn. <laughs> he was going to give it to me. Boy, we, we don't like those telemarketers, but can I tell you something? Some of them are pretty slick, aren't they? It's all about salesmanship. As a matter of fact, when I was in college, there was a company called MCI, and they were actually selling phone plans for AT&T, but they were telemarketers. There was a fellow on my floor that 
lot of the guys would come home, and sometimes they did pretty good nights. They'd make $100 a night, $150 a night in commissions. And, and that was U.S. money 20 years ago, so that was pretty good for a day's work. You know, that's a lot of money, especially for a college student. They only worked about four or five hours a night. But there was a guy on my floor that was routinely bringing home $1,500 and $2,000 a night, every night. He'd bring home pizza for the whole floor. Guys, I had $2,000 tonight. I went and bought $100 worth of Little Caesars, and we'd share. You know, he got investigated. They said, why is he so much better? They, they thought, let's listen to what he's saying. So they began to record his calls, thought, boy, we'll use this for training purposes. You know what he found out? He was lying to people. He was using trickery and deceit. Boy, his numbers went through the roof, but once he was caught, he was fired and kicked out of school. We are not, we are not salesmen. The power of the Holy Ghost is what will bring them to Jesus Christ and what will save them and convert them. I like going to the help program. You hear those testimonies on the last night. And everyone, so you know a teenage kid will go there, 14, 15 years old, and they'll win their first soul to Jesus. And they're, they're so excited, and they'll give their testimony. And we know what they mean, but they'll say something like this, I saved a little girl this week. Well, we know what they mean. But you know, some people, that's what they think. I saved somebody. No, no. God does the saving. We are just instruments to be used of Him. So we need God's help. The Bible says we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. We often use that word soul winning, and it comes from Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Yet the wise soul winner understands it's God that does the work, not us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. God did the work. And the letter D, here's another tip, prepare a message. Work at it. Memorize scripture. Know what you're going to say. Many don't share the gospel because they don't know what to say. And so share what happened to you and take some time to memorize the scripture. Refer back to 1 Corinthians 15 to keep it simple. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Let me encourage you, write that on a little recipe card. Tape it in the back of your Bible. And when somebody gets asking you foolish questions, look back and read that verse again. That's the gospel message. Listen, they don't need to know uh, well, why did God rest on the seventh day? Did Adam have a belly button? I'm, I'm, you're going to hear all kinds of questions that will try to get you off track. Remember what the gospel message is. Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. And he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He died a substitutionary death. He died in your place and shed his blood and paid the price for your sin. And, and, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But God took our place when he sent his son Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And he took our place, and now the gift of God is eternal life. I mean, it's so simple, yet it's so hard for the human mind to grasp because they think, I have to do something. The human ego says, I've got to work, I've got to be religious, I've got to do something to gain God's favor. When the truth is, only the spotless Lamb of God ever gained God's favor. He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We are to follow after Christ 
We are to be a soul-winning people. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Let me ask you to do this. If you're serious about seeing your family saved, seeing your friends saved, seeing your coworkers saved, would you commit to it? We have to pray for their souls. But there comes time where we have to put feet to our prayer. We have to do something about it. We have to have the boldness to share the gospel. In the next few weeks, we'll go into more detail about how do we share the gospel. What are some of the verses we can use? And everybody has different verses, different things that they're comfortable with, but there's some key ones that, that would help you. But would you commit tonight over the next few weeks that you're going to be attentive and try to learn more about soul winning, how we can reach people for Christ? You know, that's how Christ builds his church. We can have all the programs we want. It's not going to build the church. Unless those programs are centered around reaching souls. We can have all the music programs. I, I enjoy music. Uh, two, three times a year, I like having music come in and sing. And boy, I enjoy that. But that's not what builds a church. Seeing people saved and added to the congregation, that's what builds the church. God said, I will build my church. Well, he builds it with saved people. So we are to go out and reach the people for Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet tonight as the instruments play. If God has spoke your heart, this altar is open. But would you commit tonight to learning and also being a better soul winner that we might do more for Christ?